So I have to ask this question. I'm sure a lot of people want to know. Is there um, a return to frontline politics for Loretta Butler Turner? I'm Kyle Joaquin, and welcome to Here's the Story, the podcast, where we look to have deep and meaningful conversation with the newsmakers. Now, today's guest is no stranger to news. She's actually the first woman to be appointed leader of the official opposition in the Bahamas, and she has quite the story when it comes to politics and business. So I had a nice conversation with her. Take a listen. All righty, so Mrs. Butler Turner, welcome to Here's the Story. Um, it's been a Quite a long time since we've last spoken. How has, uh, I guess, the private life of you call it been? Well, I can tell you that private life has been, it's been different. Uh, mm -hmm. Obviously, there have been quite a few changes in my life. I'm no longer involved in frontline politics. And um, with the loss of my husband, it's given me even greater focus on uh, my private and my family life. All right. Well, firstly, our condolences to you and your family in, in that regard. But um, I wanted you on the show because I have some questions that I always wanted to ask you, you know, and I'll just uh, I'll just get started. You're the granddaughter of Samila Butler. You know, people in my age bracket, we were used to seeing him on the, the $20 bill um, on the little uh, notebook for school. How was that for you growing up knowing the magnitude of your grandfather. Um, and now you get to, I guess, kind of carry on that legacy. Um, you know, I think family for us has always been very, very important. And the amazing thing is that my siblings and I had the privilege of actually growing up next door, literally, to Sir Milo and our grandmother. And so there was great influence in our lives, not only from a perspective of principles, hard work, ethics, but also understanding the whole concept of giving service to country. And so for us, that was something that was instilled in us from a very early age. Right, now you're a consummate businesswoman, I don't know if you, well, you wouldn't remember this. Um, I think I was in ninth grade. That was 2003, 2004, around there. Um, you had traveled to Long Island to Deadmansky for a funeral, and you spoke at the graveside um, in your capacity as the funeral director. And I remember hearing you, and I said, wow, she speaks really well, and her voice demands attention. Uh, fast forward to years later, um, why did you decide to enter, first of all, public life, frontline politics? because you were so successful as a businesswoman. I actually enjoyed everything that I've done in life, whether it was from a business perspective or whether it was from a political perspective. I was a reluctant candidate going into frontline politics, reluctant for two reasons. First of all, my personal uh, philosophy did not align any longer with that of my family. You know, my grandfather, as you mentioned, was a trailblazer in the world of politics. Um, he, pre, uh, he actually got into politics long before party politics existed in the Bahamas. That was 1938. But when he did align himself politically, he was a part of the Progressive Liberal Party. When I actually decided to get into politics, 
my leanings were more towards the free national movement, especially because of the fact that I think Hubert Ingram uh, was one of the persons that I felt was going to offer a lot of promise to the Bahamas. And he was the person that invited me to join his party and to be a standard bearer. Okay. So now let, let me get into kind of the meat and potatoes. Um, I wouldn't say the harder questions, but some questions I always wanted to ask, and I'm sure others always wanted to ask. So let's fast forward to 2012 for just a bit here. Um, you ran in a pretty strong uh, uh, seat for the FNM Long Island, right? Um, the party lost, crushing defeat, but you won your seat. And then people look at, um, I guess, I wouldn't say a lead, the leadership battle there, but people always wonder what would have happened had you been the leader immediately right then or right then in 2012 instead of Dr. Hubert Minnis. Uh, so some would want to ask you perhaps why you were not person to be chosen to be the leader of the FNM back then in 2012. It's, you know, it's really interesting that you should ask that question because, you know, family islands, um, the news is usually relayed a little um, later than it is in New Providence. And so I didn't know until later that evening that the FNM had actually lost the election. Given the fact that I'm in a Southern island in our archipelago, remember, we would have had to stay behind for the recount the following day, which would have been a Tuesday because the election was on a Monday. And that Monday night, the night of election, when Mr. Ingram, Prime Minister Ingram, conceded defeat, uh, he also indicated that he would be stepping down as party leader. Now, here is the, here is the catch. Uh, nine, nine of us were elected uh, on the free national movement and 30, you know, so I think it was like 30 to 20, 30 to nine Seven. or eight. But there were, yeah. uh, in yeah. any event, I was the only, I was the sole female. Having to yeah. stay in Long Island, I didn't know what was going on in Nassau, only to arrive that Wednesday morning to attend uh, an, uh, an emergency meeting at national headquarters. And as I walked into the meeting, they had already declared that the other MPs who were elected had already chosen Hubert, in Hubert Minnis as its leader. So I was not even a part of the election process, so to speak. Uh, I was then advised, as were all of us, that we would go into a general convention, one day convention, three weeks later, where in fact all offices will then be open except the office of leadership. So essentially, Minnis was crowned leader, and I probably would not have had a problem with it in any event, but I did not have the opportunity to cast my vote to give that support. Looking back, do you think, well, I guess you kind of answered the question because I, I wanted to ask if you think things would have been a bit different. But let's fast forward just a bit here. You decided, okay, now I want to run for leader of the FNM. And it was clear at this point because I was still in news. Um, and I think you had written a letter because you were in an advocate where there was an event and some things went awry. Um, but it was clear that the gloves were kind of off. Um, do you, looking back, if you could, would you change anything that you would have done, that you would have said um, after you made the announcement or leading up to your run for leadership? Well, you know, there's a lot that is unsaid or in the that's not in the public domain. And that is 
that even though I, be, I eventually became deputy leader of the party, I gave my full support to the leadership because I felt that also the FNM had um, actually been disadvantaged in not having a mixed team leadership, male, female. Remember now the PLP came to power and they had Perry Christie as its leader and Cynthia Mother Pratt as its deputy leader. And here we were still stuck um, thinking that leadership was basically only about male domination. So, but, you know, I did win. And I know that I was not the favored choice for Minis, but he got all of my support as he did the entire um, uh, caucus. And well, so- this, this is when you won deputy leader. That's when I won deputy leader. Right. Okay. And so uh -huh. there, were, there were no gloves off at the, at, at the very start. What happened over a period of time is we came to discover that rather than being a consensus builder, rather than being a, uh, a person that uplifted the team, there was a lot of divisiveness from the, from the leadership down. And so we lost a lot of collegiality and there was a lot of um, trust lost during that period before we got to the point of me even considering going for the leadership challenging for the leadership. Okay, so let's move forward just a bit here. You, you ran for leader, you, you did not win. Um, looking back now, what, what, what would you say were your biggest lessons learned throughout that whole ordeal? For example, uh, running for deputy leader, running for leader twice, um, being unsuccessful, but eventually becoming leader of the opposition. What would you say uh, was the biggest lesson you've learned throughout that entire ordeal? I think that you learn very quickly that even in party politics, that democracy does not truly prevail. Even though we live in a society where elections are dictated by the democratic uh, procedures, meaning the majority uh, wins. While I, while I know and I concede and I'm not about to suggest that both times I was handily beaten in, in, well, the second time I actually withdrew because of so many inconsistencies and so many, um, I would say, unconstitutional moves that were being made at the party level. But I think for me, I learned one thing that you know, we espouse democracy when it comes to national uh, elections, but within the party cycle, it's very, very difficult to unseat um, a leader and right. democracy within the party rank and file is not as transparent as it would be in a general election. Right. And that brings me to my next question. Do you think sometimes, because we saw what happened, um, let's even flip to the PLP for a second there when Mr. Christie was challenged by Mr. Sears and Mr. Sears lost. Um, do you think often the wishes of the voting body within the party reflects perhaps what the country would support then? No, I think what happens is that in a party situation, and I have to speak primarily to um, parties in the Bahamas because I'm not sure how other, other parties work, but basically the leader of a party uh, quickly establishes persons that are loyal to them. Yep. And so any uh, opposition, if you will, 
that uh, comes from within the party is hardly ever supported. And, you know, if I were to use the PLP uh, as opposed to the FNM so that I can be a little bit more objective rather than subjective, I thought that Alfred Sears ran an excellent campaign. He presented a wonderful platform, but therein lies the same folly that I told you, I think exists in party politics, where there's this huge loyalty toward the leader. And so any challenger is going to have immense obstacles and uh, loyalties to overcome. I just have two more questions in this segment here. Um, uh, looking at, at how social media kind of changed the game, right? Um, do you think, how do I put this without sounding bad? Uh, do you think the political arena as it is today in the Bahamas welcomes the best and the brightest offering themselves for candidacy? I think that in some instances, um, it does happen. I think social media has a huge impact on the choices that people make because there are a lot of people that do not even understand the constitution of the country. There are many that do not understand the party constitution. And um, does social media impact it? Certainly, because it becomes almost like a popularity contest. The more people that are supporting someone on a social media platform, that tends to give great influence. They're almost influencers, if you will, um, that will be able to tap into the mindset of the electorate. So social media, in my opinion, has its place. Um, does it always select the best? Um, not always, but I think that in our politics in the Bahamas, for example, parties are generally elected on leadership. And at the end of the day, everybody on that particular ticket gets the advantage that the leadership brings to the, the electoral process. And I think generally speaking, Bahamians are not usually pro the other party, but they're usually very disillusioned because of their expectations by the existing party. So what you'll see happening is a lot of people tend to either um, cast their vote against the government or they determine to withhold their vote altogether, as we would have seen in 2021. So I have to ask this question. I'm sure a lot of people want to know. Is there uh, a return to frontline politics for Loretta Butler-Turner? My biggest supporter was my husband. He was my greatest cheerleader. He believed in me no matter what I did. He gave me so much support. I no longer have that support mechanism. I no longer have the desire to go back into frontline politics. But I've also discovered along the way that even though that sometimes you can make changes in people's lives without being involved in the political process. You can do things very privately that helps to affect change. And so that is what I have been doing over the last five years. And I'm very grateful to uh, Prime Minister Davis and also his team for seeing the work that I was doing during um, the last five years and asking me to join in helping to mentor even more individuals in small businesses. 
taking a break for just a minute. I hope you're enjoying the conversation. I know I am. We surely have a lot more to get to, but be sure to like, share, and subscribe. Keep listening. I want you to take me back to the moment when you, you stood at the podium in, at Government House and you were sworn in as the first woman to be the leader of the opposition, despite what was going on politically. Um, how did you feel in that moment? I'm sure you must have been really, really proud. Well, you know, I think it was very important because we have to look at our system of governance. And under our system of governance, we are we adhere to the Westminster system, similar to what you see going on in Great Britain, not similar. Actually, we are definitely, um, that's the mother country that we take our legislation from. And so when the majority of elected MPs said to me that they had lost confidence in the then leader who would have been Dr. Minnis, and they would like to support me for leadership, you have to understand that not only did that bring a lot of pride, but obviously it brought a lot of responsibility as well, because you now have a team that has shifted after trying very hard to be supportive of one leader, seeing that it was not working, and then saying, listen, we'd like for you to be our leader. That for me was not just about me, uh, it was a huge part about the psyche of leadership and what leadership looks like. It does not always have to come packaged as a male. And so for me, and, and all of the persons that supported me were my male, my male um, colleagues. Okay. All right. So when you look around uh, Parliament right now, I think we have... Uh, if I'm correct, the number is seven women who now serve as MPs. And we have a few uh, women who serve as senators as well. Um, what, what do you think? Are you a bit inspired? Um, uh, or do you have any confidence, I guess, in the future of women in frontline politics? I do. I have lots of confidence. I believe that the seven women, you know, generally speaking in Parliament today, um, I have seen there have been mistakes along the way, you know, novice mistakes. Yeah. And, you know, I think that, you know, going into the second year, because we're just heading into the first year now, uh, the end of the first year, but I have seen a lot of promise in some of them. I think they articulate well generally. Um, obviously, I look at the most senior of them, Minister Glennis Hannah-Martin, who is doing an amazing job in education, and also a woman whom I supported uh, for higher leadership within her organization. When I say supported, supported her as a sister um, to, to be deputy leader of her party. Unfortunately, she suffered the same fate that I would have. But you have Glennis Hannah Martin and you have a cadre of younger women that uh, seem to have come up through the ranks of the party, uh, most of them, and seem to be applying themselves quite well. As I've stated before, I think that there have been some missteps along the way, but generally, by and large, I'm very impressed and I'm happy to see that they are doing a really good job. Uh, you mentioned uh, Minister Hannah Martin just now. She ran, she ran for leader, but she was unsuccessful. Do you think, uh, so both of you kind of suffered the same fate in that regard. Do you think perhaps the Bahamas in the near future or or would ever be ready for a woman to be the prime minister of the country? Well, I'm happy to see that England now has its second female prime minister in line. And if we're going to take a nod from the mother country, I believe that 
um, people are becoming less generally less aligned, um, you know, with parties and probably more open to best choices, especially given the fact that when we looked at how women around the world performed in leadership roles during the COVID pandemic, you know, some of the countries that fared best were led by females. And, you know, the Bahamas has still got a ways to go, but I believe that, um, you know, hopefully in my lifetime, definitely in yours, we will see a transition. And, you know, we, we take a nod from Barbados where Mia Motley is doing an amazing job. I think the Bahamians are taking note of that. And I believe that, you know, there have got to be people who will blaze trails, create those paths, and then there'll be others that will, you know, move and make the path even clearer. So I believe that the path has been forged and that there will be uh, females that will soon ascend to the top position in the Bahamas. And I would love to see that. Incredible. Shifting gears just a bit, I, I wouldn't be a journalist if I didn't ask uh, something that's more time sensitive. Uh, we see the debate, the national debate on marital rape is coming up once again. Uh, when you, were, when you uh, were in parliament, you had strong views on this. I want to know in 2022, where do you stand now on the issue or the topic of marital rape? There are two things that I felt very, very strongly about that I stood for, and my views have not changed. I have very strong convictions. I believe that uh, certainly marital rape is something that the government needs to address. Uh, it's always a very difficult decision. I believe that we've got to approach it in such a way that people are fully understanding of what it is and not allow the discussion to become uh, mired in such things as homosexuality and gay rights and all of the other stuff. It's about a woman and a man being able to protect themselves no matter what environment they're in, whether they're in a relationship that is bonded with marriage or whether they're in a relationship that is basically just uh, where they're, they're, they're a boyfriend or girlfriend. I think that the important factor here is that women and men have the rights over their own bodies. The other thing that I'm very um, uh, passionate about is equality for women. And those are the two things I think that whenever the history is told, they will show that Loretta Butler Turner was really um, you know, upfront on those two particular matters. And so for me, it was not a political choice, it's a conviction. Just one more break here. I hope you're enjoying the conversation. Just a reminder to like, share, and subscribe. So we're now into this portion of our show where we ask, we give you two options. You get to choose this or that. And if you want to explain, you can. And if you if you wish not to answer, you know, that's on you as well. So hopefully, hopefully, hopefully you're a good sport, which I'm sure you are. You ready? Go ahead. <laughs> so you didn't, are you you didn't give me a heads up on what this would be. <laughs> that's the fun of it that's the fun but it's, it's all tasteful trust me you'll be good um, so I gotta ask um, are you a dog mom or a cat lover a dog mom okay Gladys Knight or Anita Baker oh boy leaving on that midnight train to Georgia's gotta be Gladys Knight <laughs> you, you wouldn't choose Anita Baker I love Jeez. Anita Baker but I gotta go with Gladys Knight I'm a little older okay so Rich and famous or unknown? Unknown. Okay. Red or white wine? Oh, I like both. <laughs> it depends on the time of the year. Okay. 
You gotta choose one though. You gotta choose one. Um, white. Okay. Uh, you like planned things or you like surprises? I don't like surprises. Uh. I like everything planned. I want to know what's going to happen. I do not want to be pounced upon. I want to know everything. You sure you just don't want to be in control? Yes, you I like do. <laughs> I want to be totally in control. Okay. A, a weekend getaway to Greece or a summer here at home with no power cuts or load shedding? Ah, oh, that's so difficult. <laughs> it shouldn't be that hard, right? <laughs> I mean, the Bahamas, the Bahamas is my home. I love it, but I love to travel. So for a weekend, a weekend getaway to Greece. Okay. Lastly, and I hope you're a good sport with this one. Which of these moments would you take back? Would you take back the moment in Parliament where you, you uh, I think it was the time when they were coming to uh, escort Dr. Binns out of Parliament. You said, don't put your hands on him. You take that moment back? Or would you take back the slap? I mean, know what we're talking about. The slap. <laughs> Definitely the slap. You said, <laughs> all right. <laughs> well, thank you for being such a good sport with that one. I just have two more questions and we're done. Um, well, one, I have to ask, in 2022, you mentioned that you had a, a lot of things in your life have changed, right? Um, so what, if anything, uh, keeps you going when you wake up in the morning? What keeps you motivated? What's your drive? Life. You know, to see how quickly life is snuffed out. I'm up early in the morning. I'm in my garden, which represents nature and life. I actually had to take a break from my garden to come and do this interview with you this morning. And, I appreciate it. And, and then, of course, just to give God thanks for allowing me to be here. All right. Uh, last question for me. Uh, you're known as one of the stronger, iconic uh, female figures in our country's history. If you could give advice to any young girl, any woman aspiring to ascend to a role of leadership in their organization, into politics, what would that be? Do not allow power to change who you are. Well, Mrs. Butler Turner, thank you so very much. We really appreciate you uh, being our guest on Here's the Story. Alrighty, all the best. Thank you. Well, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Mrs. Butler-Turner. I know I surely did. Thank you for tuning into this first episode of Here's the Story, the podcast. And a special thank you to you and my producer, Cam the Comfort. See you next week for another deep and meaningful conversation.